Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, reading from verse 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God. Thank you, Eugene, for reading God's word for us this morning. I am uh, at the end of my third week as a single guy. And so I have developed in that time a profound appreciation for those of you who are, in fact, single all the time. I wonder how it is you give attention to work and the laundry and the floors and the windows and the dishes. In fact, some of you have noticed of late that my shirts aren't as cleanly ironed as they once were. In fact, some sweet sister snuck into my office and left me an iron. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I keep it there to do, you know, touch-ups. That's the only possible reason that could be in my office. Otherwise, the, the message is, please bake more. You know, about uh, five years ago, I was standing on the front step of our, our stair in our church, and a, a family came walking up the stairs, and I greeted them, you know, enthusiastic in Vancouver. Whenever a whole new family comes to a church, that's a great day. And so I, I welcomed them, said, glad you're here. Let me help you find a seat. And he said, well, uh, before we go in, I just need to ask, um, your church doesn't teach about the existence of the devil, does it? And I said, yes, we do. I thought that would be good news that we teach the Bible, but no, it wasn't. He turned around, they never showed up again. So if you are in that group that you feel uncomfortable with bad news, you feel uncomfortable that there might be a person, name the devil or Satan in the Old Testament, um, this might be awkward for you. So about... Uh, forget how many years ago, I can't do math, it was 1990, uh, Sherry and I um, had two boys, 
uh, Sherry had been told that she couldn't have any more children, and then we found out she, she was pregnant. It's just a total surprise. Um, this, this baby was born full term, but when he came out, he couldn't breathe. He was panting, so Sherry couldn't hold him. They immediately took him, medevaced him to another city. He was on full life support for 11 days because his lungs had no surfactant, which is a fluid that helps lungs be uh, flexible. He, they were just stiff. And every day I would go, and I, I couldn't even touch him. I had to put my arms through holes and rubber gloves and, and try and get him to hold my hand. No, no response at all. And then the doctors came to me and said, listen, we don't have much hope, but there's an experimental drug, an artificial surfactant. Uh, if, you're, if you sign this document, we'll, we'll give it to him and uh, see what happens. And I said, well, are there any possible things that could go wrong? And they said, the only thing is blood. If there's blood in the, the lungs, um, there's, there's really not much more we can do. I signed the form because what, what am I going to do? That was a Saturday night. On Sunday, I had to step up and preach. And then immediately after preaching, I rushed to that other city. It was about uh, 50 kilometers to the east. And uh, went and there was nobody around. Usually there's a nurse right by the incubator. I picked up the chart and I saw on the chart blood. Uh, and right away, I'm like, God, you know my story, right? You know how long I ran from my call. Now I've embraced my call. You let this happen. The 13th day, I went to see him. And the nurse met me and said, you've got a new little man. Why? Because he peed. Now, some of you have healthy babies. You don't know what a blessing pee is. It's just a glorious first sign that the body is starting to work. And so we took that as a sign that God has released us from Canada and we can go and pursue our call to serve among Chinese people. So in 1990, we arrived in Taiwan with a healthy nine-year-old, an energetic seven-year-old, and a miracle baby that I called Weidamin, which a vitamin, because every time I saw him, he created this joyful energy in me. And for two years... We could barely keep him alive. Two weeks after he got there, he saw a dog in the street, took the dog's face into his hands, and the dog promptly bit him in the face seven stitches. Then he fell backwards, hit his head on a table, eight stitches. He fell forward on his face, seven stitches under his chin. Then he got knocked over by a lorry which ran over him. And then the driver got out and said, Make one see, huh? <laughs> His legs were black and blue. Then he fell in the bathtub, bit his tongue in two. I mean, from the tip way back. I was, I was at the airport. Sherry called me. Brennan bit his tongue. I said, every boy bites his tongue. Just let it alone. It'll be fine. When I got home from the airport, he was still crying. And I said, Brennan, what, let me see daddy see. He stuck out his tongue. That boy had over a hundred stitches before he was two. I, I, I don't know if you get like me, but sometimes I'm like, God, just when I'm being faithful, you let this happen? 
just, just when I'm full on following you, then suddenly, do you ever get surprised by resistance? Do you ever get disappointed by difficulty? So as we look at God's word today, I just want to put this again in context. As we come to this text, I've assigned it a title, Tempted in Every Way. Let's remember that Jesus insisted on being baptized in chapter 3 to fulfill all righteousness. And then Luke does something unusual. Between his baptism and the next chapter, he inserts this rather long, oddly placed, Genealogy. I mean, I say oddly placed because if you're like Matthew, you would do what normal people do and start at the beginning. And so Matthew, even before the birth of Jesus, gives this very long genealogy that goes all the way back to Abraham, the founder of the Jewish people, the father of the nation, takes Jesus through that royal dynastic tradition all the way back to Abraham. And Luke waits until Jesus is 30. And then specifically squeezes that genealogy between his baptism and this temptation narrative. He does this, why? Because he's pointing to the bigger gospel story in his narrative. So that the man named Most Excellent Theophilus could understand, begin to comprehend the significance of this very moment. So, what is at stake? How is this so significant? Verses 1 through 2a. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So let's be perfectly clear. Do not be confused by difficulty because the presence of of temptation does not mean God is distant. It doesn't mean that God is not there. Jesus was full of God and led by God into this desert for this time of testing. The absence of the Holy Spirit is not indicative. It's not suggested by trouble. So when I get into trouble and I feel like God is distant, it's because I've got my eyes off his word. I've bent my heart towards something else. He feels distant, but he is not. The presence of temptation does not suggest his absence, nor does the presence of the Holy Spirit suggest we will never have temptation. Clearly in God's word, they come together. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now the word, or the number 40, has great significance in the the Old Testament. In Hebrew culture, 40 had significance. 40 was the official probationary period. 40 meant a time of testing, a time of trial. So in Genesis 6 through 9, creation is tested 
For 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, Moses goes to the mountaintop. For 40 days, he is tested without food. And in the book of Exodus, God's people are tested for 40 years, complaining about the food. And now Jesus comes to this time of testing. 40 days, 40 nights, with no food. In addition to that, remember, in the genealogies, not tracing him all the way back to Abraham alone, but going even further, tracing Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, the son of God, who was tested and failed. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, and for 40 years that son failed. And now Jesus, in his baptism, has just been announced God's beloved son. And now he too comes to this critical moment of testing. This is a defining moment in all of eternity when this now, this son, God's beloved sacrificially loved son endures 40 days in the desert with no food and in this moment an opportune time a moment of great weakness the evil one comes being tempted by the devil now this word devil is important for us to understand because it has implications for us the word devil in Greek is this word, there's the English word, diabolos. Um, that might sound familiar to you because we get an English word from the word diabolos. The word is diabolical. In the old English, diabolical was in reference to a certain kind of speech that we now in the 21st century call slander. So sometimes the evil one is called the slanderer. One who is a malicious gossip. That's what he is. He is a malicious gospel. Now, when, when I was um, younger in uni, I would say about seven kilos ago, I was on the university football team, soccer, if you're thinking Amer American, and our coach, the first meeting, gave us the playbook, and that was a big moment for me because when you got the playbook, that means you, you were on the team, and so I opened up the playbook, and it, it was kind of thick, I mean... He, he had three chapters. The, the first chapter was team expectations. There, there was a lot of them. Like never, we never could be late for practice. If you were late for practice, you were not starting. No hope of starting. You played as a team. You know the old football cliche, there's no I in team, but I'm dyslexic. So I actually saw there is an M-E in team. Pass me the ball. 
That's what I was thinking when I said that the second chapter was positions and movements when the ball is in play, how to get to open space. All these plays were in this book. And the third chapter was positions and movements for set plays at a free kick, a corner kick. We had this playbook. It was kind of thick. The evil one has a playbook. It's not that thick. It's not really a book, more of a pamphlet. You could write it on a serviette. It's not that complicated, but here it begins. First team expectations. Just one, one word. This is, this is probably going to get you killed. That's the, you know, team expectations in the devil's playbook. This is what Jesus says. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. It's not that he does it on purpose. He doesn't have a strategy for it. It's who he is. Every part of his fiber is deceit. But the fruit of his roots is, is just lies. That, that, he's not trying. It's, it's just who he is. And these lies lead to death. When he sidled up and deceived Eve, death entered into creation. So the, the, the team expectation is, you know, this is going to be painful, but, you know, at least on earth, this earth, um, it's going to end. It's going to end in death. But the, the second part of his playbook, just, you know, written on your napkin or your serviette is like encouraged comfort. I, I just need to be honest. Every Sunday morning, the evil one sidles up to this pastor and agrees with me right in the middle of our worship. He's like, you're right, you're right. These pews are way, way too hard. It's very uncomfortable. You, you know, Calvary Baptist Church is not very far away from us. They have very comfortable chairs. In, in fact, you notice when you sit in them, you can kind of lean back. It's kind of padded. Yeah, and close your eyes. Everybody thinks you're praying. I, you know, I, I feel this. I'm like, a new building, old, old pews, so uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable with discomfort. And so are you. Because how many of you have already had a conversation about how cold it is in this building? Or how hot it is? Or, or why the light's on? Why the light's off? We, we have an extreme discomfort with discomfort. We, we just don't like it. And the evil one knows it. He doesn't have a new game aside from just agreeing with what we already feel. Jesus was hungry. Jesus, remember, the evil one knows he's the one who spoke everything into existence. Forty days without eating. The evil one knows. If, if you're the son of God, you know, command this stone. You know, make it. Make it bread. Do, do, you, do you ever wonder why Jesus was so harsh with Peter? Like, like Peter, Simon Peter just, you know, he's always trying to be first in his class with a good answer. Right? So he often answers before any of his classmates, also before his brain. He just, 
throws it out there because he's, he's got enthusiasm, right? He just, he just wants... So why, why was Jesus so harsh with Peter? He turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Really? For a lousy answer, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are setting your mind on the things of God. That's recorded in Matthew's gospel. In order to understand why... We have to look at the previous verses. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and what? Get comfortable? No, suffer many things. And Peter right away with the devil's answer, no, may it never be. This won't happen to you. That would be odd. That would be awkward. May it never happen to you. To you. So we're going to fill out this chart. If you want to write on your blank paper, you can. The devil has a truth. His truth is you ought to be comfortable. You deserve to be comfortable. Do not be confused if you have discomfort. Jesus' response is the same every time. It is written. It is written what? He's taken this from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, now this is going to be a really important pattern, and this should explain everything about Grace Baptist Church to you. This, is, this should explain why we give focus on the teaching of God's word. This should explain why we don't have an authority structure that includes the senior pastor. This should explain why we do worship the way we do worship. We want his word to be heard. We want to speak his word. We want to sing his word. We want to remember his word because this is the one and only defense you need. At some point in your struggle... You may feel temptation. It does not bother the evil one if you say, by the way, the other day our pastor did a really great illustration about Vincent van Gogh. He, he will not be deterred by Vincent van Gogh. The man cut off his ear and went insane. He, he, he won't be impressed if you said, you, you know my pastor has two sisters that are adopted? He told this story about that. That will not cause the evil one to turn his back in trembling. Jesus' response was always the same. It is written. The third, entice with an early inheritance. You, you, you understand that this is kind of the story of the prodigal son. He had an inheritance, but he wanted it now. But, but this is even more deceptive. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will if you will just worship me. This word in Hebrew for worship is really fascinating because it actually means kiss. It's why in Arabic cultures, sons kiss their father because that was the kind of honor children were to have to their father. 
That's why you only hear Rebecca or Rachel calling their husbands, not their names, but Lord. Worship was connected with, can I say it in Asian, the Confucian leadership style. Just kiss me. Honor me. And I will give you all these things. You know what he's saying? He's not just saying, I will give you an early inheritance. He was saying, hey, I also do adoption. Do you understand every text that we teach here is connected with another text? This is exactly why Jesus had harsh words for the priests and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. In John chapter 8, he said this, you are of what? Your father the devil. Why? Because they turned their hearts away from everything eternal. They decided to embrace all the things they could get now, power and authority, influence, all the treasure of the evil one, all that was in the middle of rusting, all that was in the middle of molding, they embraced it. Let me have it now. I want to be in charge of stuff. I want to be lent this illusion that I'm Lord of authority and justice and everything religious. Jesus said, and your will is to do your father's desires. You see, we all have a father. And as we come under the influence of our Father, our will is to do our Father's desire. And that's when Matthew saw Jesus in the temple. He said, didn't you know, in Luke, he said, didn't you know I'd be in my Father's house? In Matthew, didn't you know I'd be about my Father's business? This is what Jesus responded to, get an inheritance now Jesus responded, you see the pattern, it is written. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God and him and only him shall you serve. But there's a fourth one in this little serviette playbook. A dangle glory. I mean, just think about this. Jesus Christ, superstar. You, you'll be so popular if you just make it a show. And, and so he took him to the pinnacle of the temple, the very peak of the pile of religious quagmire. He, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it's written... You get what he's doing? For it's written, church people, are you surprised that the devil knows your book? He knows what you're reading. You better know it well. You better saturate your heart with his word. Because the evil one will try to use it against the holy one. Throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do something spectacular. Do, do something amazing. So, uh, yeah. 
I, I don't ever like to criticize other teachings. Our AV team is getting ready to edit me. This is why health and wealth theology is so far from Jesus. Because it teaches me to long for the things that the evil one offered to Jesus in temptation. It teaches me that he is not enough, that I really need the stuff that he would give. It, it teaches me that I have to put on the show. I've been there, by the way, when I was planning a church in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. I came to that city of 37,000 people. That would kind of be a neighborhood in Singapore. And I thought to myself, I, I know how to start a church here in Canada. Better music than the Methodists, better preaching than the Presbyterians. It'll just grow. 99% of my budget and my efforts were on the Sunday morning show. It's a sham. Because every Sunday, the evil one would up, ramble up to me and say, you're right. You're right. And God's word says, it is wrong. He was quoting scripture from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, and notice what Jesus says. Not it is written, but it is said. That's present tense, meaning I was there when it was spoken. I heard it said. It's been recorded. This I know. Not because the Bible tells me so, but because I was there and I have heard it. It is said. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Suddenly the game had changed. And in a gentle reminder, Jesus was not just saying, I will not test the Lord my Father. He was saying to the evil one, you shall not test the Lord your God, in whose ear you are now whispering. There's one last play in his playbook. And it's a play that saturates every one of these. The last is question God's word. You will remember this from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree in the garden, not to dwell on her response. But here's what it looked like that day. Verse three, if you are the son of God. Verse nine, if you are the son of God, immediately after the spirit of God fluttered down on Jesus, 
immediately after this voice from heaven came and said, you are my beloved son. Even while that word was being spoken, the evil one was rushing to the place where he would meet Jesus and call into question the word of God. If you are the son of God, how could this be happening to you? If you are the son of God, then prove it some way. Beyond what God has said, if you really are the son of God, if you are his child, then demonstrate it in some way. This is the pattern. Just take a look at it. Did God really say? It was said and it is recorded. Do you know how many times in those 15 years that I was running from God that I heard that question? If, if you are God's child, how can you treat your parents that way? If you are really God's child, how can you look like you do? How can you feel like you feel? How can you be so angry with his church? If you truly are, God's child. Prove it. I could not, and you cannot. And the good news is, you are what God says you are. I knew it because I was there. I heard it. It was recorded. I became a child adopted into his family. And this is the glorious moment. While all other children failed, Jesus did not. In that one victorious moment, the evil one could have no other argument and left him temporarily. So here is again our reflection. We started this way. In what ways has the devil sought to erode your sense of security as God's child? How has he made you insecure? How has he caused you to question God's word about you? What intellectual construct, what emotional game how has he agreed with you that has caused you to bend your heart elsewhere? Caused you to feel like, maybe, maybe I'm not. This is a reminder that you will face stress and struggle. But God has not left you. Once you've fully embraced him and been embraced by him, once his spirit lives within you, nothing, no one can ever snatch you out of his hand. That is the promise of God. Your choice is to believe him, believe his word, or to believe your fears. Believe your anxieties. Believe those moments when the evil one finds you and agrees with you. What kind of a God would let you go through difficulty? 
Why doesn't he want the best for you? In this moment of trial, in your 40 days or 40 years, God is making you better for heaven, more suited for glory, more holy. And his pleasure ever abides on his children, even in our moments of difficulty and challenge. And why does it matter? Because the evil one is persistent. He may come again at an opportune time when the pew is hard, when the aircon is cold, when life is unpleasant. But why does he let this happen? Because his plan is, his purpose is, that he would lift you up in holy confidence as a boast to the spiritual powers. That's his desire, GBC. In our moments of imperfection, when we can't get along with each other, when I can't even agree with myself, God's purpose is this, to use the church as a display of his wisdom to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places to lift you up as a boast to the evil one. You see my people. I will keep them from falling. I will present them without fault. I will do this to my glory. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you're here today and you feel the anxiety or maybe just the heaviness of difficult times, could it possibly be that it's simply because you are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased? Could it possibly be that so great is his confidence in his work in you that he has said to the evil one, have you seen my servant Job? Do what you will. This child is mine. Maybe you're here today and and you have honest concern. Maybe you would say, I, I actually don't, I, I don't know who my father is. I, I mean, I don't know who my spiritual father is. I, I've wanted to be religious. I don't know if I am a new creation in him. In this holy moment, you can have a quiet conversation with the one who spoke you into life. For the one who watched over you when you were small, who arranged this time, this little piece of geography, 
the one whose sovereign purpose it is to pursue you, embrace you, and say to you, you are my beloved. And in this quiet moment, if you would turn into him and say, God, just forgive me for wandering, embracing the chaos of my own ideas, the failure of others' suggestions. I, I, I want to be fully embraced by you. I want to be saturated with the confidence of knowing your word. Receive me. Then his promise is, if you call unto me, I will answer. In this moment, he affords you a fresh start with him. Father God, we thank you that you are still the God who speaks life and light into darkness. We thank you that your word can be trusted, that it is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that you would give us a deeper thirst for your word that we would prepare our hearts for the challenges that will come, that you would prepare us for opportune times to speak boldly your word, even in the midst of doubt. Your word is enough. We thank you that you are the God who brings fresh life, that you are in the adoption business, We thank you that you are present here with us. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kiss.